0: Good morning, this is Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle. Great to have you with us. Well, as you just heard, there's a big change at the Screen Actors Guild. A majority of the national board ousted Doug Allen as the lead negotiator and national executive director of SAG. A new negotiating committee has been put into place. And the majority on the national board is hopeful that new talks with the producers and its AMPTP organization can yield fruit that the full membership would be able to approve. With us is Jay Fernandez, senior film reporter for The Hollywood Reporter. Good morning, Jay. Hey, Larry. Well, this letter was delivered yesterday to SAG headquarters, which laid out all these changes do you, did you anticipate that the leadership of SAG would fight the move by the majority of the board? Uh, I
1: didn't really know. Um, I guess on some level, I was a little surprised that um, that that Alan sent this email saying, you know, essentially that he had accepted it. Um, but on the other hand, I don't know what what grounds they would have had to fight it. I mean, the inside council and outside council both agreed pretty quickly that it was all in order and and was uh, relevant and legal and uh, with regard to the SAG Constitution, so I don't think there was anything left to do.
0: So he left the building immediately and will be paid out to the end of his contract, correct?
1: Uh, I believe the assent included uh, verbiage that said that Allen would, uh, would be paid out the rest of his contract, which had another year on it.
0: All right. Uh, it, now, what does this mean with the new negotiating committee in place? Because it is a mix of the membership first people and the uh, the the group of moderates that has been trying to make these changes.
1: Well, one of the one of the complaints that the the moderate faction had was that the negotiating committee no longer reflected uh, the makeup of the national board uh, as of last September when. Uh, moderates gained a few seats and now had a majority. Unfortunately, Membership First, which was the more hardline faction, uh, still maintained a majority in the negotiating committee, which is why they had to use this resolution to disband it. They've actually replaced the negotiating committee with something called a task force, rather than another negotiating committee, which is a whole other process. Um, But uh, my understanding is that the moderates the moderate leadership wanted the new task force to. They didn't didn't want to just whitewash it with their own partisans. They just wanted it to reflect more the way uh, the, the philosophical leanings of the national board. So that's what they've done. They've included membership first partisans, but if you look at the makeup, moderate forces, if they bound together, would still have a majority now on the task force.
0: We haven't been able to get a comment from the AMPTP. It seems that organization just sitting back and watching the discord at SAG play out, biding its time because I'm sure they feel this is only good for, for their side. But have you been able to talk uh, off the record or get any indication from producers um, whether they're willing and anxious to get back to the bargaining table?
1: I don't know the answer to that question. My my guess is yes, Um you know they they want to move on they want to get this contract done as they kept pointing out they've you know nailed out nailed down five or six others during 2008 and this was the last one on their agenda and they were frustrated that they couldn't get it done on the other hand they they put their last offer on the table on June 30th saying that this was it you weren't getting anything else so there wasn't really anything for them to do in the last 8 months while uh while the uh the screen actors guild fought internally um I would guess that a lot of the people, uh, a lot of the members of SAG have been really frustrated, not just that it's kind of embarrassing to watch their guild beat the crap out of each other, uh, but that it, it it's distracted from the main point, which is the offer on the table from the purported enemy, quote-unquote, the real enemy, which is the producers, is not good enough. And I think most people uh, would agree with that. The question was just how, how hard do we push? Uh, What kind of position are we in to really get any more gains that are in the contract offer as it stands? And that's what the the Civil War was about.
0: Jay Fernandez with The Hollywood Reporter. He has been covering the SAG uh, debacle, you might say, the fighting within the organization that has left this a very fractured guild. Jonathan Handel uh, at Troy Gould runs the uh, blog Digital Media Law, and he has covered this uh, from the beginning. Jonathan, good to have you with us again.
2: Pleasure to be with you, Larry.
0: Well, did you expect more of a fight from Doug Allen and Alan Rosenberg, the SAG president, over yesterday's delivery of of that board majority assent?
2: Well, I did. I mean, you know, it, it, it was clear that the lawyers were were going to weigh in on this, but it was also clear from my um, from my reporting on my blog that uh, you know Alan Rosenberg had said uh, had denigrated his own lawyers during that thirty hour marathon meeting and called them liars and that they didn't know what they were talking about. So. I expected that the lawyers would say this document is in order and that um, Alan Rosenberg or someone else would say, well, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. But I think the thing that made the difference uh, probably at the end of the day was that the assent does indeed, and I I, I have the language, I have the assent posted on my blog uh, at jhandle.com, the the assent does indeed uh, say that Doug will be paid out through the rest of his contract. And um, I think it's a little hard to... um, to sit there and fight when someone's telling you, a, we don't want you in here, and b, uh, you know, here's uh, five, you know, four hundred fifty thousand dollars or so for the next year, and you're not going to have to even work for us. That's. Uh you know, that's a much more compelling argument, obviously.
0: Now, Jay Fernandez was just talking about this being a task force that's assembled with uh, bipartisan representation of both Unite for Strength, the moderate faction, and Membership First, uh, the more hard-line group. Uh, what is the difference between that task force and an actual negotiating committee?
2: Well, two points on that. First of all, it's um, you know, they're, they're, uh, in terms of who the non-membership first people are, there isn't a good word for it, because um, there is the Unite for Strength faction here in Hollywood. There's one independent board member on the Hollywood uh, uh, um, Hollywood representation on the board. Then there are the New York and regional board members, uh, basically all of whom are also in this sort of moderate coalition.
0: So they're unaffiliated. They're, you wouldn't call them Unite for Strength members.
2: That's exactly right. Okay, Exactly right. Um and the difference between a task force and a and the negotiating committee is this. The negotiating committee actually had the authority delegated to it by the board to do the negotiating, um, sitting alongside uh, the, the top staff person, of course, which was Doug Allen. Um, the task force is intended, according to the assent, to be the eyes and ears of the board and does not really have delegated authority. It can't close a deal. It's not going to be taking the lead in negotiations, it looks like. I think what you're going to see is a dynamic where it's going to be um, John McGuire and uh, and David White. John McGuire, uh, uh, the you know a longtime uh, Guild st- staffer, very respected, and David White, the new interim national executive director, uh, extremely intelligent, extremely low key uh, individual, uh, very much of a calming influence, and uh, and just very uh, and, and the former general counsel of the Guild, so very knowledgeable. Uh, as well. Uh, I suspect that those two uh, guys are the ones who are going to be you know, taking the lead uh, point position uh, in these negotiations accompanied by the task force.
0: Jonathan Handel, who's been blogging about the SAG negotiations and the discord within the union uh, for months now. I'm opening up the phone lines for you as a SAG member to weigh in what would you like to see as the next step for your guild 866 893 5722 866 893 KPCC it's a chance for you to weigh in on the change in leadership at SAG of course Alan Rosenberg the president continues uh, Uh, But his uh, very close ally, Doug Allen, the National Executive Director and Lead Negotiator, is no longer with SAG. 866-893-5722, 866-893-KPCC. Joining us is the National President of SAG, Alan Rosenberg. Mr. Rosenberg, good to have you with us again.
3: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: You have to be very disappointed with uh, what was contained in that letter of assent yesterday.
3: Well, uh, yeah, I'm very disappointed, and I think I speak for the 48% of the uh, members of our board who weren't allowed to have a say in uh, what happened yesterday. As you know, this was done by written assent um, by the slimmest of majorities, and uh, that's unfortunate for our union, I believe, as is the departure of Doug Allen, who many of us believe is perhaps the best thing uh, that ever happened to our union.
0: Well, the 48%, they did have a say, didn't they? I mean, they were in the minority, so the majority carried on this, right?
3: Well, no, this was accomplished by written assent. It wasn't a face-to-face board meeting. The 52.52% of our board members, most of whom are, many of whom are new on the board and have not sat in a room with Doug Allen, did this by signing their name to a document, basically. There was no debate in the boardroom. Um, There was limited debate, as you know, in the the emergency meeting we had two weeks ago. But uh, yesterday, this was accomplished by written assent, which, um... just the use of that uh... of that uh... way of doing things i think is damaging to our guild it uh... kills democracy and kills the ability of the minority to have a say
0: well it it seems though that the majority on the national board were so unhappy with the procedural moves during that thirty hour meeting that uh... they seemed to feel this was the way they needed to go to make a change
3: well that i i disagree and we let them know that if we had a meeting that where we knew it was on the agenda to talk about doug's performance where he was given his day in court and the ability to answer his accusers, then we would live with the results of that meeting. Um, that wasn't done. And Doug, as opposed to other NEDs who, who have come and gone, was not given his day in court. And As far as I'm concerned, as far as many of us are concerned, I have to be clear, because of that motion yesterday, I'm now offering my opinion. I'm not speaking officially as president of Screen Actors Guild. Um, but Doug was fired because he is too good and too strong and too much of a unionist. You know, he, for the first time, we had a negotiator who was saying this whole idea of pattern bargaining, where we'd have to be stuck with a deal that was arrived at by other unions, who never asked the questions that we needed to ask about how the internet was going to impact actors. Now, that was an absurd notion. And Doug's the first NED we've had in a long time who challenged that notion um, because of the direction the board gave him, the negotiating team gave him. And uh, there's a desire, I believe, uh, from the, by, by those who want to remain safe and want to remain working to go back to the days of yore. We just basically went along to get along. And I'm afraid that's where we are now.
0: In that written assent, as I recall, one of the uh, portions of that delineated just two individuals who would be speaking on behalf of SAG. So is that what you mean when you say you're just speaking on behalf of yourself, not the union?
3: Well, you know, I have to say that now, and that's a shame because now officially our members have no voice. Of the people who were designated as official spokespeople for this guild, I'm the only one who was elected by by the membership. And now the two spokespeople for the guild officially are David White, who it's true he was the general counsel of the union, but he hasn't been involved in guild affairs for the past three years. He's certainly not current as to what's going on in our boardroom, what's going on in these negotiations. And uh, John McGuire, who's a senior advisor from New York. So members now, especially the members in Hollywood, are represented when it comes to who's going to be speaking on their behalf.
0: Ellen Rosenberg is the president of the Screen Actors Guild with us on AirTalk. We're taking your calls. If you are a SAG member, what do you want to see next from your guild? You can respond to yesterday's major development or what you want to see now in the future as SAG resumes negotiations at some point with the AMPTP to try and come up with a new agreement. 866-893-5722. Please share your point of view on the AirTalk blog at kpcc.org. We'll also continue our conversation with Jonathan Handel, who's been blogging on this, and Jay Fernandez of The Hollywood Reporter, who's been covering this story for his trade publication. This is Air Talk on 89.3 KPCC Southern California Public Radio.
4: Next time on The World, Washington more or less ignored global warming for eight years. No longer, though, the Obama administration has named a special envoy on climate change. That means the U.S. is getting ready to talk with the other major industrial nations about curbing carbon emissions around the globe. A climate change in Washington next time on The World. Weekdays at noon
5: on 89.3 KPCC. This is 89.3 KPCC, Southern California Public Radio. At least five bodies have reportedly been found inside a house in Wilmington. The grim discovery was made earlier this morning on McFarland Avenue. Police say the dead include several children and the killer. Volunteers will fan out across the Southland this week to count the number of homeless people. L.A. County begins its count tonight. Riverside County begins tomorrow morning. Ron Stewart manages homeless services for Riverside County. He told the California Report that it's not possible to count everyone who is homeless in the county, so there's always an undercount.
6: We are looking at a point in time and to attempt to get out there and do this with really shoestring budgets. Um, For my uh, county, we're doing it largely volunteer-driven, about 250 to 300 volunteers. And so we're going to do our best uh, to get out to 102 points in the county and do a count
5: Stewart says it's especially challenging to do the count in Riverside County, where homeless people are scattered over a wide, largely rural area. The homeless count is mandated by the federal government. Counties use it to help improve services for homeless people and to demonstrate the need for federal funds. There's a report that National Intelligence Director Michael McConnell has resigned after selecting retired Admiral Dennis Blair to be the next Intelligence Director. President Obama had asked McConnell to serve on his intelligence. Advisory Board. Filling in temporarily as director will be Lieutenant General Ronald Burgess, Jr. It's 1021 at KPCC. This is Air Talk. I'm Larry
0: Mantle. The future of the Screen Actors Guild and its lack of a new contract with producers. Our topic a change in the chief negotiator and national executive director as yesterday Doug Allen was removed from that position by a written assent signed by a majority of the national board's members. Let's take a call from Dave in Manhattan Beach. Welcome to Air Talk.
6: Uh, yeah, Larry, I think that Mr. Rosenberg's tenure has been an abject failure. Uh, he lost AFTRA and uh, then called them names for leaving. Uh, they fired Doug White, and he calls them names for, uh, you know, they're not unionist enough. Uh, he loses the majority of, of the union uh, in not wanting to authorize a strike vote, and he says that they're being childish. It's everybody else's fault for not buying what he's selling. And I think it's time you stepped aside.
0: All right, Dave. Mr. Rosenberg, you'd like to respond.
3: Um, you know what? I'm, I was off the phone for 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 a minute there. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to step aside. I heard the last sentence. Um, as I said before, I'm the duly elected, uh, twice elected president of the Screen Actors Guild, and uh, you know I'm tremendously proud of what Doug Allen and this negotiating committee um, has accomplished. Um, you know we started out these negotiations, um, and the DJ was uh, was touting this deal as a groundbreaking deal, and that's been said by other unions too. I think we've changed the debate so that people understand now that this is a deal that is fraught with peril for our members, especially our members who live in the middle of this country who will be put out of work in droves by this new media deal. Um, I have every confidence that we're doing the right, that we have been doing the right thing during these negotiations, and I have it, no intention.
0: Dave, Dave is critical, though, of your behavior, uh, as much as the stand that you've taken, saying that the way you've characterized critics throughout this who disagree with your position has, has not been the kind of leadership that SAG needs.
3: Well, Dave is, 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 is speaking from having read blogs that describe one side of a situation, um, you know, I was faced with a meeting two weeks ago where uh, our national board and Doug Allen and his reputation were blindsided. We were told that we were going to have a meeting that would discuss confusion that existed among our membership about a strike authorization. We asked several times, was there anything else on the agenda you want to discuss? And we were told no. People came into a meeting with a sloppily written motion um, that was filled with contradictions um, and wanted to... Wanted to uh, Destroy a man's career and fire a man based on trumped-up charges and what amounted to a kangaroo court. I was trying to defend the democratic process. Um, I've always been open to critics, uh, to, to, to my critics, and I've always tried to answer them. Um, all I, wanted this to, I wanted this to be done in a fair and balanced hearing where Doug Allen would be given due process and the, answer, and the, and the opportunity to answer his critics let's, the way Greg Hessinger was before him.
0: Let's uh, take another listener call. Beth in Silver Lake, you're on Air Talk.
6: Um, Well, a few things. Jonathan Handel is a mouthpiece for the
5: AMPTP. David White, now our new interim NED, is a Pisano clone. With And David White had a company that facilitated producers to ignore union contracts. John McGuire is a get-along, go-along type of guy who has very close affiliations with the A&PTP and is not a leader. Unite for Strength, the New York board and the RBD board are all operatives of the A&PTP and AFTRA, and this was all done to weaken the Screen Actors Guild, to, to make a merger with AFTRA, the weakest union on the globe, possible. This was a coup. There are thousands of people who support Doug Allen. There are thousands of people who support the president.
6: And all this information will be shared with the membership.
0: Beth, thank you for your call. Uh, Jonathan Handel, would you like to respond to that?
2: Yeah, and I, I, I won't respond to that in my role as mouthpiece for the AMPTP, because that's not what I am. Um, I, uh, You know, I ought to say, for the benefit of people who ask questions like that, uh, I don't represent any studios, I don't represent any any networks, neither does my law firm. Uh, I I come at this from a point of view of analysis, and, you know, i got to say, listening to Alan play the wounded uh, Democrat is kind of an astonishing experience here. Um you know, this is the same man who who said publicly and who told me that the New York board members, uh, a month a month and a half ago, who expressed uh, you know concerns, were quote subversives. And Alan said that to me directly, as well as having said that uh, uh, elsewhere in the press. You know, the way the way he ran the meeting. I mean, we've been over this before, but uh, it was anything but democratic. Uh, the the moderate majority was suppressed by Allen as uh, as chair, and uh, you know to then. Uh, take a look at that and take a look at a guild whose communications media were turned into propaganda organs for one faction on the the board that when it no longer was the majority now cries you know cries out in outrage is really uh, is is pretty astonishing i mean there are there are legitimate grounds for disagreement on strategy here and there are you know legitimate concerns about the contract and um you know that's a that's a, a a long a subject of long
0: discussion what, obviously but what what about though the listener's uh contention that those who uh engineered the removal of Doug Allen really want to see a merger with with AFTRA? that's really what this is about
2: well i you know i think in the first instance what people are concerned about is two things one is that there are are about seven contracts including this one uh but others as well that have gone unnegotiated on Doug and Alan Rosenberg's uh, uh, watch, and that the guild isn't doing its own, you know, isn't effectively doing its own business. The second thing is that I, you know, I think that a lot of a lot of people do think that the unions ought to merge. And, you know, look at it. You talk to any actor, and they'll say, "I'm a member of two or maybe three unions, including Equity. I have to pay two or three sets of membership dues." I, it's, tr- it's hard for me to reach the qualifying levels to get health insurance because my work gets divided amongst the different unions. And meanwhile, management plays, quite effectively plays SAG and AFRA off against each other in negotiations. It is a mistake for there to be multiple uh, unions with overlapping jurisdiction. It just leads to, uh, to trouble for the members.
0: All right. A- Alan Rosenberg, your response, sir.
3: Well, Mr. Handel may contend that he's not a spokesman for the AMPTP, but his commentary has been anything but objective. He speaks as somebody who was inside that board meeting and knows what's going on, and I contend that he hasn't talked to anybody who might give him another side of the picture. Um, you know, Mr. Handel has never commented on the fact that we have a board that voted 100% to stand behind two core principles in these negotiations. Jurisdiction and residuals and original content made for new media, a 100 percent vote that then they repudiated two weeks later. Then they took a 97 percent vote saying that we would go into federal mediation. If that mediation failed, we would go out for a strike authorization, and everybody said that they would be behind that strategy and not repudiate it. Two weeks later, they came out and advocated a no vote on that strike authorization. It was virtually impossible for Doug Allen of this negotiating committee to arrive at a deal when members of our own negotiating committee and our board were sabotaging us at every turn. But Mr. Mr., Mr. Uh, Handel has never commented on that and talked about the very fact that if a, if a, if a negotiating committee and a board is divided in such a way, that, that, that progress cannot be made in negotiations. But he always puts the blame squarely in Doug Allen's court and my court, and never comments on the actions of, of what he calls subversive. I never used that word. I don't know who he was talking to, but he wasn't talking to me. I just try to deal with the facts and not cast blame or cast uh, doubt on people's motivation. Um, But uh, I would love to hear what Mr. Handel says about that, about 97% vote, 100% vote, if that's uh, repudiated
0: two weeks later. We're down to our final minute for this conversation. Mr. Handel, briefly, please.
2: Yeah, first of all, Alan, you specifically said to me in our conversation that you consider the New York board subversives. Uh, You know, secondly, uh, part of leadership is looking at your followers and seeing uh where they are and what they what they think. And uh so if part of your own negotiating committee feels differently than what you're putting out there publicly and not, no, not, letting not what people I said disagree it. with, then you gotta you gotta take their temperature and say, all right, what do you guys think we should be doing and let's craft a strategy.
3: Well we've always asked them what they were doing and they've never been forthcoming with what their motives were. Now what I'm saying is they weren't disagreeing. They were setting us up for failure. They would take hundred percent votes, ninety seven percent votes, and then two weeks later repudiate what they had done. As a matter of fact they wrote those motions. And what they were involved in was setting us up for failure, so Doug would look like a fool, I would look like a fool, our negotiating committee would look like failures, so then perhaps we could affect a merger with AFTRA. There was an agenda at work here which you failed to take notice of. And I contend that it was virtually impossible for any negotiator to do his or her best work when there is that kind of intentional division within the negotiating committee and the board.
0: Gentlemen, I'm sorry we're out of time, but I appreciate you sharing uh, your very candid perceptions on how this is going down at SAG. We'll see what happens with the next step with the task force looking at the future of negotiations with the AMPTP. Alan Rosenberg is the national president of the Screen Actors Guild. Jonathan Handel is an entertainment attorney and blogger who has been... In covering the events in this uh, SAG dispute for some time. Let me characterize some of our other listener comments here. Brian in Brentwood says he's been a SAG member for 10 years, very happy that this change has taken place. Vito in West L.A. says the contract should be sent to members. Jug Allen should have been able to make the case for why a strike authorization vote was essential. Uh, Cynthia Nancino is a SAG member very concerned about the discord between SAG and AFTRA. John and Woodland Hills proposes why not settle on a percent of royalties from uh, new technology and what would go to actors? I thank you for your comments. Let's keep this conversation up online at the AirTalk blog, kpcc.org.
7: Now you can get KPCC news delivered straight to your email box every day. Go to kpcc.org, click on newsletters, and sign up for KPCC's daily briefing. You'll get headlines, links to stories, and information on what's coming up on KPCC. It's all in the new Daily Briefing. Subscribe online at kpcc.org.
5: You can now get KPCC and NPR news on your cell phone or PDA. Go to kpcc.org where you'll find information on NPR mobile from KPCC. Oh, and we're also still here at 89.3.
0: This is Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle. Great to have you with us. Well, you might think that theater critics are the bane of theater artists' and directors' lives, but in fact, there's an important symbiotic relationship between those who write about what happens on live stage and the ability of those productions to attract interest and audiences. Joining us today are three of the artistic directors of uh, three of our principal stages, actually more than that because each of these groups have multiple facilities. With us Sheldon Epps, the Artistic Director of the Pasadena Playhouse, Michael Ritchie, Artistic Director of the Center Theater Group, which runs three stages, the Amundsen, the Taper, and the Douglas Theaters, and Gilbert Cates, Artistic Director of the Geffen Playhouse in Westwood. Gentlemen, it's very good to have you with us, and I know what has uh, brought the three of you together is your concern about the loss of three, three theater writers and critics' jobs in Southern California. Gil, do you want to start by laying this out a bit? Sure. Uh, firstly,
4: I should uh, tell you in the subject of credits, I'm the producing director. We have an artistic director, right. and I don't want to have him go back to the office and have him mad at me. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting when you think of three uh, of us talking very positively about uh, c- critics and uh, the virtue and value of critics. But they're part of the conversation between the audience and uh, and and between us. Uh, they They give us ink. They talk about the shows. They encourage people to see the shows. Uh, they're read widely, and to the degree that they're read, people know what's going on uh, at the Amundsen, at the Taper, at the Pasadena Playhouse, at the Geffen, and there is a yeast. There's something that happens with people talking about stuff listening and then going to see the plays and to the degree that they're not with us that's to the degree that less talk happens and that's bad for us
0: well it's not just the the three heavyweights as your theaters are but other oh, ones East absolutely. West Players Deaf Theater West I mean there's just uh, the, the list could go on the and Odyssey on. you name it of course yeah, and, and the great theater that's often done in those houses that if they don't get written up nobody's going to because they don't have the advertising budgets that, that you folks have I know yours aren't massive but at least you've got something to spend
4: absolutely Absolutely, and and, and and it's a shame, and it's a it's a part of what's happening in the times, and I mean in the times, not the LA Times, and it's uh, most unfortunate.
0: Uh, as you look, uh, uh, Sheldon, at what's happening for theater, what what is your concern about uh, what this means to sort of the conversation about theater locally?
8: Well, I think that's really the important point: is is not so much critics and reviews, but the conversation that goes on about theater and. The letter that we jointly wrote to the L.A. Times addressed that, addressed the need for that conversation to happen, the need for people to talk about theater in this town, to agree, to disagree, to write about what is exciting. And and the loss of these writers in all of these newspapers could be a, a big blow to that ongoing conversation
0: last week, I, I talked with uh, Stephen Schwartz on the occasion of Pittman's mm-hmm. opening Sunday night at the Taper, and and I was asking about the role of critics, and he was saying we well, are yeah, still very important, of course, but that it seems to be less directly influential, particularly for the big event kinds of shows. Mm-hmm. But you know, in your cases, you may be doing some of those, but that's not your bread and butter.
8: No, that that's true, and as as I said, as important as. As reviews are feature articles, um, blogs, all of those kind of things. I, I just want to mention uh, about critics themselves. The, the best quote I ever heard about criticism was from Walter Kerr. Walter Kerr said, my review should be a conversation with you. You should go and see everything, then read my review and feel free to disagree with it. So in in that regard, Criticism is valuable if it stimulates people to go to the theater and have the conversation.
0: Michael Ritchie, what is your sense of how linked uh, reviews are to the actual box office result for a production?
6: Well, in, in
9: some ways, they, they're, they're part of what drives the conversation. If all of the reviews are terrific, generally the show is terrific. If all of them are bad, generally the show is bad. I mean, there is, that's what happens. And I think there's, there's a tendency for the, the audience to think that um, – All we care about is that we get a good review, uh, when in truth, all we care about is that we have a good production. And we don't always agree with the critics, even when they write um, good reviews. And, you um, uh, you know, sometimes getting praise from a critic is, you know, like having a proctologist tell you you've got a nice ass. You know, sooner or later, there's still some pain to come. It can't. You know, it's not. It's not the be all and end all. Um, But I agree with these guys. Yeah, you know what Sheldon and Gil were saying. It's 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 part of the conversation. It gets the story out there. It gets people that have seen the show, not seen the show, talking about it. A good review or a bad review. Certainly, good reviews um, help us. But I don't think to the extent that they did in the past, I think word of mouth is much stronger now. So um, what's important with these losses at these newspapers are not just the critics but the feature writers, the editors, that theater or the arts is um, part of the social conversation.
0: Michael Ritchie, Center Theater Group, Sheldon Epps, Pasadena Playhouse, Gilbert Cates of the Geffen Playhouse. Uh, the three journalists we're talking about, we well, began with Evan Henderson from the Daily News and the LA Newspaper Group, then Jim Farber, the Daily Breeze, and a gentleman who's been with us many times on Air Talk talking about theater. Stephen Lee Morris, theater editor and critic mm. at the LA Weekly as Village Voice Media, its parent, is engaging in um, some significant cutting. Uh, our friend Ella Taylor, the great film critic, has also been let go at the L.A. Weekly. So not just theater critics, but we are seeing the loss uh, of critics writing about all kinds of Mm important aspects of the art. Don Heckman, the jazz critic of the L.A. Times, been covering jazz for years, no longer freelancing, writing his pieces. And and all of this is a lost opportunity to expose people, even those who are already buy-in or already fans, but don't know what the next thing that's coming along, a thing we might think we might not like. We read a piece about it and then get jazzed to end up going out to see the production. I'd love to hear from you as an Air Talk listener your thoughts on diminishing arts coverage and particularly theater. We're at 866 893 5722, 866 893 KPCC, and we can also open this up a bit if you have other issues with. Los Angeles theater you'd like to talk about now is a chance for you to weigh in 866-893-5722 we'll also uh, talk about the uh, productions these three gentlemen have up on their local stages
7: commercial radio is paid for with commercials public radio is paid for by the public that would be you public radio thrives only when listeners like you decide to become contributing members Those individual contributions are the largest source of the money it takes to pay for the high-quality news you hear every day. Become a member now. It takes just a minute or two at KPCC.org. And thanks.
5: Well, while we're on the subject of L.A. theater, time to give away a pair of tickets to Time Stands Still with a pre-show discussion featuring KPCC's Kitty Feldy at the Geffen Playhouse, Friday, February 13th. Join KPCC listeners for the world premiere of Donald Margulies' Time Stands Still and enjoy the Q&A with Kitty and the Geffen's artistic director, Randall Arney. Tickets and information at geffenplayhouse.com. We'll take the first caller at 626 585 Seven eight, nine, three. We've just learned that author John Updike has died. The Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist reportedly died of lung cancer. Updike wrote more than 50 books, including two Pulitzers, Rabbit is Rich and Rabbit at Rest. He was 76. L.A. police say a man upset over his job situation killed his wife and five children before committing suicide at their Wilmington home. Police this morning found the bodies of a man, a woman, an 8-year-old girl, two 5-year-old girl twins, and a set of twin 2-year-old boys. Taking a look at traffic in Norwalk on the 5 north before Carmenita, all lanes are temporarily blocked to clear a crash and clean up an oil spill. Traffic is backed up from the 91. As for the 5 south, that's slow from Florence to Valley View. And in industry, the 60 West pretty slow from Fairway to Crossroads Parkway, while the 210 West is slow from Huntington Drive to Rosemead Boulevard. It's 1041 at KPCC. This is Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle.
0: Wonderful to have you with us. Michael Ritchie, Gil, Kate, Sheldon Epps, heads of our three local theatrical treasures with us to talk about what's happening on their stages, and the loss in theater writing and criticism with the layoffs of three uh, men who've spent years, I mean, collectively, I don't know how many years those three men have spent covering local productions, but it is a ton and what that means for uh, coverage of local theater. Uh, By the way, on stage right now at the Mark Taper Forum Pippin, which opens Sunday, it's a reconception of of Stephen Schwartz's uh, musical, uh, This Case. Uh, It's a co-production, Deaf Theater West and Center Theater Group. Kirk Douglas Theater has uh, Danny Hawks taking over the one-man production that's on stage, and Minsky's is set to open uh, very, very soon. Uh, That's a brand new musical. Charles Strauss involved with that and uh, that's at the Amundsen Theater. Meanwhile we have Stormy Weather with Leslie Ugg- Uggam's terrific uh, singer and actor uh, who's portraying Lena Horne in that production. Great score of that show Michael Bush directing and that's on stage at the Pasadena Playhouse and uh, at uh, the Geffen in Westwood. Time Stand still. Uh, opens uh, up with previews in just a few days. World premiere of a Geffen Commission play written by Donald Margulies, the Pulitzer winner Daniel Sullivan, who's I don't know how many productions he's directed over the years, uh, but um, it seems like it's got to be more than a hundred. He's a Tony Award winner and he's uh, directing this. Uh, Anna Gunn, David Harper, Alicia Silverstone, and Robin Thomas star in that. Let's take your phone calls. We begin with Mark in West Hollywood. Welcome to Air Talk. Hi there. Um, I'm so.
6: First of all, I want to say thank you to these guys for bringing this up. When I found out the LA Weekly was getting rid of Stephen Lee Morris, I I just about died. Um, I do small theater, write and direct in the, some of the 99 seat theater, which does incredible work. Um, Stephen Lee Morris was like a guiding light. He would organize the LA Weekly Awards, which is where a lot of us get recognition. Um, and the other thing is. These three guys are great. They do wonderful work, but they've got subscribers, so they've got a certain number of seats sold. For those of us who work, like I work at the Celebration Theater, the gay theater in town, if we get a great review, then our houses are sold for you know weeks. If we get a bad review, our houses are half sold. <laughs> if we don't get a review, we have to hustle. Mm-hmm. So just having someone there writing the words, you know, saying that we're here is important, um, and. I just want to make one other comment. Mark Cooper from the LA Weekly, formerly of the LA Weekly, wrote on his blog about the death of the LA Weekly, and I urge you to go read it. It is absolutely right on.
0: Mark, what... I appreciate uh, Thanks very much. Let me just ask you quickly, though, since yours is a theater that's, that's primarily aimed at gay audiences – are there other alternatives? Are there blogs, for example, that deal with gay and lesbian issues? Are there are there other ways of reaching potential audiences without having these uh, general interest publications?
6: Uh, absolutely, there are um, three or four big gay publications, and you know we can get reviewed in those, but you just. Wouldn't believe the difference between an LA Times review and a good review in a gay rag. Sure,
0: because a lot more, a lot more, <laughs> uh, a lot more uh, gay theater goers read the Los Angeles Times than are going to read gay media. Yeah, no question. All right, Mark, thank you very much. We appreciate uh, your call. Let's uh, talk with Jay at UCLA. Welcome to Wear Talk.
6: Uh, hey, Larry, thanks for taking my call. Um, I do believe this, you know, to be a devastating blow to. You know, the entire, uh, public's, I guess, attention to, uh, to arts and culture, and I, you know, that does, uh, disappoint me greatly. But with the advent of internet media and widespread blogging and some rather well read, uh, blogs, I mean, what do you think the impact will be there?
0: Which
4: one are you, gentlemen? Gil? Well, I'd like to make an observation if I can. I don't know whether my colleagues will entirely agree with me, but uh, this observation has to do with Los Angeles as a specific community. Uh, I went to Syracuse, uh, for example, Syracuse University, and uh, the uh, Syracuse stage there is a very major uh, enterprise in, uh, in in that culture. The mayor goes there, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you talk about New York City. There is an underground in New York City which is which is palpable. If, if a show opens uh, in a city of 12, 13 million people, uh, it seems to me like hundreds of thousands of theater goers know it the next day and and, and respond to it uh, regardless of the newspapers. L.A. is a unique phenomenon. I mean I don't know whether it's the weather, whether it's the movie industry, whether it's uh, uh, a sports culture or whether it's just the, the old west here. There doesn't seem to be that – uh, that's strong and underground. Uh, I think the three of us could attest to the fact that sometimes a show opens, it's a wonderful show. You get standing ovations uh, for the first week and you know that if you had that reaction in practically any other city in the country, you'd be sold out. And here it's just kind of like it's a blah. And I'm a Los Angelino, I, I love this. Please don't anyone take this as uh, negative about Los Angeles. I'm just talking about the water, the circumstances that we live in so that we are much more dependent on this, uh, this conversation. Y- yes, the Internet, to answer your question, the Internet is important, and I know we're all taking advantage of it, and I know 43% of uh, tickets in, uh, uh, in New York are sold on the Internet, and I, uh, I hope we'll get to 100% someday. But as far as the conversation, the noise, the buzz, uh, the shine, whatever you want to call it, that stuff, just doesn't happen here. And the only place it really happened is in the papers, good, bad, or indifferent. So for us, it's a a larger catastrophe, I think, than it would be in any other city.
0: Well, and part of what you face here in Los Angeles uh, is the geography issue. I yeah. mean, it's very difficult. People are going to come out at night and see a production at one of your theaters. They have to, and, and they don't live in the immediate area. They have to really be motivated to do it. But
4: I just want to say that that's also a Los
0: Angeles phenomenon because when you consider, take New York City,
4: people will drive in from Scarsdale from 30 miles away, 40 miles away. They'll take the train in to see a show. Here, my gosh, if you live on the west side? Do I want to go to the valley? Do I want to go to Pasadena? Do I want to go to Westwood? Uh, do I want to go downtown? It is, it is just harder here, which is ironic considering that we're a car town. And that is again why this, this uh, normal uh, bad news uh, in another city is really catastrophic for us.
8: All right. We're still, unfortunately, overcoming the myth that there is no theater in Los Angeles.
0: Is, do people still hold to that? Oh, I, I think mean After so. all, all the productions that not just have been hits here but have gone to New York, have exactly gone around right. the world, that's still the case?
8: I, I, I think so. And, and that's why it's so important for us to have this conversation. It's so important for us to have all of the help that we can get, because that myth still exists. There's only theater in New York. There's only theater in Chicago. In fact, our very theaters are feeding those other theater Absolutely. communities.
0: Yeah, great point. All right. Let's talk with Kat in West Hollywood. Welcome to Air Talk.
6: Thank you. Hello. Hello. Um, I'm calling today as a young theater artist, and I feel somewhat concerned about this because of this seeming like an overall trend to silence the discourse that is inherent in theater. I think it's very important to have theater as a means of social discourse, and I would like to think that with the current political um, mentality of change and growth, that um, the discussion and the support of the arts would be something that would be reengaged at this time, not
0: Dissuaded. Well, one of the things you, you have to understand, and, and this is very for, different for us, for example, as a public radio station versus, say, the Los Angeles Times or LA Weekly or anyone else, they're not mission-driven organizations. So uh, the, the issue of public discourse isn't, isn't really the issue on which they're deciding what their budget priorities are going to be. They're looking at numbers and trying to figure out, okay, what percent of our readers are looking at it? How much are we paying the theater critic to cover this versus how many newspapers are going to be sold or picked up on the street for that kind of coverage specifically? Are there cheaper ways we can get that same information using stringers that might cost less but don't have the experience of a Stephen Lee Morris or someone like that? So it's... You're really talking about a kind of a civic mission of this being important of the vibrancy and the conversation that we have in town. And you know, public radio—that's what we do. That's why we work in it. Is that's why these gentlemen work in the theaters? They do. They are mission-driven uh, nonprofit entities. But that's not what you're talking about at the at the papers where these men have been laid off, Gil. And let's also
4: for a moment remember the commercial aspect of it. Uh, This is uh, counterproductive because the truth of the matter is that a city is is vibrant and encourages visitors largely on the basis of – uh... what it provides those visitors and culture is one of the big things we provide sure we provide the zoo we provide a lot of other things the symphony et etc. Cetera, et cetera, but we provide theater so when you when you stop the discourse you discourage people from doing shows shows do less better Less visitors come in, less visitors, less people visit restaurants, less restaurants, et etc. et cetera. And, and, and f- from, I think from our perspective, I, I think it's about time that the municipality, that the city really recognized that it is in the city's financial interest not only to encourage theater but to encourage these institutions to uh, develop this conversation, which ultimately is to the, the best interest of our bottom line. Michael, you want to weigh in on this?
9: I think that you know culture defines that you know the very soul of a community. Uh, the, the, you know there are many cities that are big cities um, that that have active workforces that have industries, and yet without cultural, uh, uh, without culture or arts institutions, they cannot be defined as world class cities. Now, Los Angeles is obviously a very large and world class city. Uh, and part of that is due because of what it offers in in um, the sphere of of culture. Uh, we have one of the greatest visual arts communities in the world here in Los Angeles. We um, have one of the greatest performing arts communities in the world. We in fact, through both television and movie, especially, define a lot of what the image of the world is and what that and, and again what that conversation is. Where theater fits into that, and, you know, the three of us run the three largest theaters in in, in this city, um, is also distinctly important. Um, The idea of... uh 300 or uh, 700 or 1,000 people a night walking into any one of our theaters, sitting down, not only being entertained, and sometimes being entertained is all you ask for and need. That's good for a community. But the fact is that we put um, um, issues that are important— to the dialogue that's going on on our stages and I can't tell you the number of times that people have talked to me after shows that they've seen at all three of our theaters and at a lot of the other smaller theaters where they say they've talked about that yeah. for weeks afterwards um, so to, um, to to ignore that is to ignore I, as I said the soul of, of, of the city
0: Yeah, Danny Hawk's show you've got at the Douglas is a great example of that this whole issue of gentrification and who rightfully belongs and what does it mean to into a community and does a community lose its soul when more money comes in and the double edge of that so yeah I mean these are the kinds of things that people kind of talk about but often it's a production which gives it a kind of platform about which people can really connect on that
9: well in the Danny Hawk piece it's actually um, um, almost ironic that it's taking place in Culver City uh, <laughs> a city that <laughs> yeah. has gone through massive gentrification part of it due to the, the Kirk Douglas Theater being established there five years ago where there are now 20-25 new restaurants um, that where home values have gone up where young families are moving in and is that all good or is there some loss there? So actually what's happening in that community is being discussed on that stage in a very potent way.
0: I didn't realize Variety you know, laid off 30 staffers yesterday and Phil Gallo who writes uh, on uh, theater and arts an, another uh, critic a who, was, who has lost his position mm-hmm. so we don't want to exclude Phil in oh. that. <laughs> um, we have a number of other calls and unfortunately limited time so let me just share what some folks are saying. Let's continue this conversation on the Airtalk blog at kpcc.org. It's a great chance for you to share, whether you're part of the L.A. theater world or just someone who is an appreciator of what theater brings to our community, the Airtalk blog at kpcc.org. Uh, CC in Midtown writes, uh, it's affecting all areas of the arts. There are a few visual arts reviews. Michael Ritchie just touching on that. Mark in Woodland Hills is an actor, uh, uh, director in North Hollywood at a small theater theater and says 250 small theaters suffering from the lack of coverage. Paul in Hollywood, an actor here in Los Angeles uh, and uh, uh, designed to promote theater in Los Angeles and and it's so difficult to be able to promote theater here. Rick in Anaheim says we're not a theater town because we don't have theater districts. Jeannie in Hollywood uh, says small theater listings no longer in the Los Angeles Times and uh, we can't afford to advertise as a Small theater, uh, yeah, Roberta in Studio City says theaters should band together with a, maybe a theater pass and hire their own critics. Well, of course, there you have got a problem with the <laughs> conflict of interest inherent in that. I'll, I'll be the critic. Yeah, yeah You want to do that? Do. Uh, hire someone it. to, uh, we'll to critique you your production. <laughs> seriously, <laughs> seriously, I that, though, swear. I wonder if there is some other kind of model for providing theater criticism if if the publications drop this, and they're not seeing it as part of of the service they need to provide. Are there other models elsewhere?
4: Well, all I can say is I I have suggested uh, several times to the Los Angeles Times that it would be wonderful to have them include as a critic uh, uh, people who who ran theaters. I I mean, not only the three of us, but uh, many of the hundreds of folks who run the smaller theaters so that you have a a one-theater review paid for by the – a newspaper and then another review paid uh, not paid for but given by uh, you know people who understand theater i think that would be a great idea Right. Well,
9: one of the things the L.A. Times do d- does that I think they deserve credit for is they have started their reader's blog where yes. they allow the readers to, to en masse review a show right from previews on. So they really have taken something where they, mm-hmm. they have, you know, we keep using the word conversation. There's a real distinct conversation that happens that someone will state something. It gets rebutted by others. It gets elaborated by more. And actually those reader's polls, I think, ultimately um, – drive more of what the the general sense of what the show is than necessarily the the, the critical review itself.
0: So there may not be a professional reviewer kicking off right. that conversation yeah. in the future. Okay. Hopefully that right. conversation can still take place, okay. whether it's on the L.A. Times website or, or whether there's a standalone separate – theater review website that does it.
4: And it's uh, to the point that Sheldon made earlier. Uh, it's, it's not only the, the theater critic that we're talking about, but it's all the other stuff that the paper brings with it. The the feature pieces, the special pieces, the fact that uh, there's discussion in at the newspaper themselves by these people with other people, so that the business editor knows what's going on, the sports editor knows what's going on. There's a
0: there's an interchange, there's a, there's a buoyancy,
4: yeah. there's a synergy there. So so yes, of course, the the the, the critical review is one thing, but it's the other part as well
0: Gil thanks very much Gil Cates producing director of the Geffen Playhouse Westwood Sheldon Epps artistic director of the Pasadena Playhouse and Michael Ritchie artistic director center theater group which includes the Amundsen the Taper and the Douglas theaters we'll continue the conversation kpcc.org with the Air Talk blog
8: well
0: in